This is a presentation from Narara Valley Baptist Church, a church that's desperate for God and passionate for people. We're in the book of James. Uh, we've been kind of working our way through this little book. It's, it's actually a letter uh, written by a guy called James, if you didn't know. That's why it's called James. And I was hoping that someone would like to read it for us, the little section we're doing tonight. Does anyone like reading, like on a microphone at the front, in front of everyone? You've got to be a weird sort of person to like that, don't you? Come on, who's the weirdo? Looking for a hand. Elbow your friend. Did Josh, did Josh K volunteer, did he? Oh, it wasn't you, Josh. It was Liam. (laughs) All right, I'll read James chapter 2. If you've got a Bible, pop it open to chapter 2. Let's read it. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand over there, or sit on the floor by my feet, have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you... Have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said, you shall not commit adultery, also said, you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So that's James, chapter 2, 1 to 13. Uh, And James always writes like this. If you've read the whole letter, uh, you'll be familiar with the tone. He is, he's tough. He says it like it is. He doesn't pull any punches. Um, And it can be kind of hard to stomach, hard to take. Um, So we're going to work our way through it. Uh, we're going to take our medicine tonight um, and see what comes out of all of this. This is the first verse. Believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Now, I want to I kind of focus on one word in that one verse for like the first half of my sermon, just to kind of get us into gear. Um, this morning... 
Uh, if you weren't here, I know a bunch of you were. I'm kind of looking around and going, yeah, I saw you, I saw you. Yeah, good, good. Um, this morning, the great, the mighty Zach Bryant uh, preached up a storm on these verses, and he kind of worked his way through verse by verse. And I was talking to him on the phone yesterday, and we were kind of comparing notes of like, what you, what's your approach to this text going to be? Are we just going to preach exactly the same sermon, AM and PM, and all the people who come twice will get bored? And I was like, I'm just preaching about the word glory. Um, and he was like, oh, it's good, I'm kind of skipping over that bit. So, so we're not going to step on each other's toes too much. If you do want the Zach Bryant special, jump on YouTube, jump on the podcast this week. I do implore you, if you didn't hear it this morning, catch up. But anyway, what is glory? Turn to the person next to you, see if you can like work together to come up with some kind of a like working definition of what you think this word glory is means, because it's kind of a Bible-y, Christian-y, religious-y word uh, we might not have a good definition for. So yeah, work together. What is glory? Go. All right, we, we got it? Got it, got it. Figured out the word glory. Now we all, all understand it, so I can sit down. No? Yeah? I went to my dictionary. Um, I wonder if you got any of this. Glory is doxa. Look, I even put the like actual Greek letters up there and the Hebrew as well. We're going to get to that in a sec. Doxa is the Greek, the Greek word for glory. Uh, that's the exact word that James uses. He's writing this letter in the language of Greek, not in English. Uh, so he doesn't call it glory. He calls it doxa. Uh, and doxa, basically, it's a word that comes from the Greek word for thinking of. Um, so, like, being well thought of is kind of the vibe going on there. Uh, but, yeah, this word kind of means uh, your opinion about someone or something or their appearance, someone's reputation, honour, praise, majesty, magnificence, brilliance, radiance. Uh, and then in the Old Testament, when you read the word glory in the Old Testament, that's actually a Hebrew word, kabaud or kavaud, uh, which is comes from the Hebrew word for heaviness, and it's kind of got this like weightiness of, of something or someone, uh, abundance, significance, honor, reputation, splendor, wealth. They, they're similar. This, this is the fun thing about words. When you translate a word from one language into another, you don't always get like a perfect match. Uh, so the, when, when people took the Hebrew Bible and they translated it into Greek, around the time of Jesus, um, they took all those times where it said kabod and they swapped it out for doxa. And it's kind of a similar meaning, but it's got slightly different connotations. And then we come along and we've got English Bibles and we translate all the doxas and all the kabouds to be glory. And for you, that might mean something slightly different yet again. But yeah, it's kind of honour, majesty, reputation and significance. Glory is what makes a charismatic or influential person get everyone's attention when they walk into the room. Glory is what makes a king or a queen command the respect of their subjects or a president command the respect of a whole nation. Honor and majesty, reputation and significance, which is why it's a word that we use to talk about God a lot, right? Because God is glorious. And God's glory is, is described in the Old Testament 
in all kinds of different ways. Uh, and people have these experiences of this gloriousness of God. One good example that you might know, uh, the Israelites, God's people, were out in the desert. Uh, Moses was leading them. Uh, they just come through the Red Sea, parting the sea. You know that story? Anyway, they come to Mount Sinai and they, they see the glory of God in these amazing clouds over the mountain and they hear this thunder rumbling and they feel an, uh, the earth shake and God gives them the law, the Ten Commandments. Glory is seen in the imprint of God found in the vastness of the universe, the splendor of a sunset, the beauty of a field of wildflowers. Glory like that makes you gasp, takes your breath away, overwhelms you. Sometimes glory is so weighty, so blinding, that it fills you with fear. Like the prophets in the Old Testament, or the Apostle Paul on the road to Damascus. That is what it is like to encounter the glory of God. Do you get it? We unpack that word. You might not know all those stories from the Bible. That's okay. But you, you can kind of build up like a, like a painter putting layers and layers and layers of paint. Build up a picture of what glory means not just in the dictionary definition but the vibe of it the essence the feeling that it evokes and so when James mentions Jesus and uses this word glorious in this first verse uh, I think it's really intentional believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ glorious now I don't know about you um, have you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the stories about Jesus, the things that he said and he did? When Jesus walked into the room, did the earth shake? When Jesus spoke, did it sound like thunder? There's a verse uh, in the Old Testament that prophesies about Jesus coming. Uh, in Isaiah chapter 53, one of the best Old Testament prophecies about Jesus, verse 2 says, He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. Is Jesus glorious or is he ordinary? What's going on here? John, one of Jesus' best mates, said, This, the word, being Jesus, Jesus who was God, the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So I think what's going on here, that James and John, who knew Jesus super well, they knew that He was just a man like them, that He was just some dude in a tunic and sandals, living His life, doing His thing. And yet... He was glorious, and the kind of glory that Jesus had was different to the kind of glory we've been talking about so far tonight. The glory of Jesus is in his grace and truth. He still has those, the, the essence of glory, the, the honor 
that is due to God is due to Jesus. The majesty of God is encapsulated and, and kind of shrunk down to this human man. He had the reputation and the significance of the Son of God. The Word become flesh and made his dwelling among us. It's different. Paul, in the book of Philippians, uh, quotes these words, that he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. So now we've got kind of two ideas here, two versions of glorious. The gloriousness that takes your breath away, the gloriousness that makes you quake with fear, and the glory of Jesus who made himself nothing, who was found in appearance as a man who humbled himself and became obedient to even death on a cross. Are you getting a picture? James is saying, you are believers in the glorious Lord Jesus Christ. The glorious one who had a new and different kind of glory. The glorious crucified one. The glorious humble servant king. And with that in mind, the things of this world that we think are glorious, the things that give us the impression of being amazing and wonderful and shiny and heavy and exciting, those things that would normally be glorious like wealth and beauty and charisma should no longer be the things that we are attracted to. We must be different because we have this new, different kind of glorious one that we follow. If you're a believer in the glorious one who died on the cross, then you should not show favoritism. He gives an example. He unpacks it. It's good. Um, Lewis always says, got to tell lots of stories at PM. Uh, so here's a story. Suppose someone walks in through those doors back there, right now, dressed to impress. Uh, in the ancient world, in James's world, it's a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothes. Well, I've got a gold ring. I think his beanie's pretty fine. Uh, but that's not what he's getting at. This is, this is like a rich, powerful, influential, high-status person who walks into the meeting. And at the same time, coming in just next to him, maybe just behind, just in front, there's a poor man in filthy old clothes, looking kind of disheveled and gross, maybe smelling a bit. And he's saying, if you go up to that rich, powerful man with the fine clothes and say, here, move these guys out of the way. You sit on the couch down the front. You get the best seat in the house. And then you say to the poor man, oh, no, no, um, can you just go sit over there in the corner? Uh, 
Or, or maybe actually, no, I don't, we don't want you to dirty any of our furniture. Can you just sit on the floor for us? Maybe just here at my feet. James is saying you can't be like that. If you're a believer in the glorious Lord Jesus, you can't be discriminating among yourselves and becoming like judges with evil thoughts. He goes on. Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor if you've treated that rich man with the rings and the fine clothes as important and better than the poor man in the filthy old clothes. That is to say that Jesus, with his special, strange, new and different kind of glory, wants to share his glory with the ones who are the least glorious in the eyes of of the world. You want proof? Here's the words of Jesus. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. We, as followers of the glorious Jesus, must follow this must have this kind of value system, this way of thinking about other people and about ourselves. I told you, James doesn't pull any punches. He's hard. He makes you think. So do you do this? Are these your thoughts and your values? What does it look like in, in your own mind, in your own heart, in your private thoughts? You don't have to share with the person sitting next to you for this bit. This is just for you and for me. Think about those people who are attractive, who have nice clothes or drive a nice car or live in a nice house. Those people who walk into the room and attract your attention just with their personality. Those people who are outgoing and well-adjusted and likeable. Don't we love those people? Don't we love having those people around? Don't we want to give them attention? Don't we want to make them feel extra special and extra welcome? More than that person whose clothes are old and shabby out of fashion, maybe someone who's a bit socially awkward or shy or introverted, hard to talk to, maybe someone who has some kind of disability or someone who seems to be struggling with their mental health, who's going to take extra work to get to know. Do you avoid those people? Honestly, you don't have to tell anyone, but Think about it. I think if we're honest with ourselves, we want to spend time with the people who are 
cool and attractive and exciting and fun and it's hard, isn't it? That's what James is trying to get at here. That's what he's challenging. That thing in your heart, he's saying that is not you anymore. It might have been you before you knew Jesus, but now you have this glorious Jesus. And this is not a new problem that we have here in Narara in the 21st century. This is a problem that these Christians had 2,000 years ago. Do you know who the people are who this letter was written to? I said it was a letter. I said it was written by James. I didn't tell you who it was written to, did I? But you might know from the last couple of weeks because we have been in the book for a little bit now. These are the scattered followers of Jesus who are dotted around the Roman Empire. These are people who've used, probably people who used to live in Jerusalem, and then because of persecution from the Jewish authorities in Jerusalem who didn't like these people who'd converted to be Christians, and, and because of a famine in that part of the world where they didn't have enough food to eat, they've been scattered all around the Roman world, and there's a pocket here and a few there and a few over here. And James, he used to be their pastor when they all met together. And now that they've all spread out, he's writing a letter to them. And then this letter is designed to be passed from church to church, from person to person, in all these scattered people around the Roman Empire. Like, these are not rich, influential, powerful people. These are refugees living in new places where they don't have good connections and no one knows who they are. And they're outsiders. And it's like he's shaking them and saying, wake up. This isn't you. This isn't who the followers of the strangely glorious Jesus should be favoring. We shouldn't favor anyone. We shouldn't judge anyone. In fact, we should see the glory, the true glory, the Jesus glory, in those who most remind us of Jesus. The glory of those who Jesus himself said would inherit the kingdom of God. We should see the glory in the ones the world says are not worthy of our time, who are not respectable enough. Those are the ones who should get special honour because we are followers of the Jesus who was despised, rejected, spat on, beaten up, stripped naked, nailed to a cross. A public display of the utmost shame, which God incredibly turned around into glory. It's radical, it's crazy. And I find it really hard. It's like a punch in the guts. That conviction that I need to do so much better than I am doing at this stuff. And not just doing it, but like having it deep in my soul. This love and honor and respect for everyone. Like I, I know I have this kind of reflex in me to honor the people who are attractive and 
wealthy and have it all together, the people that I'm going to get something from and not the people who are going to take something from me. I don't want to show favoritism like that. Do you? Can I pray? We're not quite finished. I'm going to pray and then I'm going to preach some more. I just think we need to pause and pray. Can we do that? God, help me. God, help us all. God, we acknowledge that our hearts are not the way they should be. Lord, that we have these kind of reflexes in our hearts. Lord, that we value the things that the world values and we haven't yet fully learned to have your heart, to value the things that you value, to see the glory in these unexpected places and to honour the people the world dishonours. God, I pray that you would help us. One more thing before I go. I read the whole passage at the start because I didn't want to skip over anything, but also I'm skipping over the middle bit and we're jumping to the end. If you want the middle bit, it was done well this morning. Hit up Zach. He'll show you a thing or two. But we're going to go to verses 12 and 13 right at the end because I think this is a good place to end. It says this, Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Look at those last four words. Mercy triumphs over judgment. That's the framework that we need. You see, Jesus didn't just kind of reveal this new kind of glory to to make a point or to teach you some theological framework that you'd never thought of before. I mean, it does that, but it's not the only thing that he's doing when he goes to die on the cross, is it? Like, you know why Jesus died on the cross. It wasn't just a display of this new kind of glory. He was dying for us. He was dying on that cross for our sins. You know, we just prayed that God would change our hearts. We just acknowledged that there's something in my heart that's broken, that isn't right, that isn't good. That's what Jesus died for, that thing. And the word the Bible uses for what Jesus is doing on the cross is this word mercy. The glory of Jesus is seen in his willingness to have mercy and his willingness to give up what we would call glorious, usually, and develop this new kind of glory that is seen in his humility, in his humiliation, in him going and dying on the cross. And so now we know that the one who stands in judgment, who judges the world, is the one who is ultimately merciful. And so James is kind of presenting his readers in the first century in those scattered churches, but us too, with a choice. 
What team do you play for? What team are you on? It's not New South Wales or Queensland. There's a hint. The two teams here are Team Judgment and Team Mercy. Are you on Team Judgment or are you on Team Mercy? Or maybe the other way of talking about it is is Team Judgment and Team Freedom. That's the other word there, isn't it? The law that gives freedom. To be set free, to be given mercy. What's your team? Now, if you want to be the sort of person who makes judgments about other people, who says, that person's not good enough for me, that person's toxic, that person's difficult, that person annoys me, that person grosses me out. If you want to be a judgmental person and say, that person's beneath me, that person's not good enough for me, you're on team judgment by default. Like, if that's what you want to do, if that's how you want to treat people, if that's how you want to think about others, if that's how you want to live your life, that puts you, by default, on team judgment. If you're the sort of person who says, oh, I cannot do this. I need your mercy, Jesus. I need your help. If you prayed that prayer I just prayed before, asking God to help you with your heart, that puts you, by default, on team mercy. And there's a beautiful kind of symmetry at work here. That as I receive the mercy of Jesus, and what a relief that is, to receive his love, to receive his forgiveness. As I focus my attention on God's loving mercy towards me, that is the very thought that will enable me to be less judgmental towards others. That is the very thing that will help me to not show favoritism, to love and honour and respect everyone, no matter who they are, no matter what they look like or sound like or seem like, to see them the way Jesus sees me, with mercy. So that's the choice that James presents to us. Team judgment or team freedom. If you want to be set free, then join team freedom. If you want to be, if you want to receive mercy, then receive it. It's yours from Jesus. Receive it and be changed by it and have that mercy overflow into every part of your heart and your mind that you see everyone around you with that same attitude of love and mercy. Let's pray again. Lord Jesus, we praise you for your mercy. And we acknowledge, Lord, that we need your mercy. And Lord, that we don't want to be on team judgment because we don't want to be judged. Lord, we want your mercy and we want to give mercy and love to others. So Lord, I pray uh, that you would give us more and more of your mercy, that you would fill us to overflowing with mercy.
Lord, we praise you that you are the merciful judge and that your mercy triumphs over judgment. Lord, that you give us freedom and set us free from who we've been and what we've done and the things that we've said and thought. Lord, that you forgive and that you wash us clean. And Lord, I pray that you would fill us with your spirit, that we might become more and more people like Jesus, who see others uh, with love and with mercy, that we might accept and honour everyone no matter what. We pray this in the glorious name of Jesus. Amen. This has been a presentation from Narara Valley Baptist Church, a church that's desperate for God and passionate for people. To continue the conversation, we invite you to join us Sundays at 9.30am and 5pm or on our website at www.nvbc.info.